Welcome to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenock. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning stories, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their cores very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. To learn more about estate planning and how you can better serve your clients, visit wealthmanagement.com slash trusts estates. Our monthly journal features tax law updates, wealth planning, retirement strategies, and much more written by thought leaders in the industry. That's wealthmanagement.com slash trusts dash estates. Our guest this week is Brad France. Brad is director of the Business Law Group at Houston Harbaugh in Pittsburgh. He worked extensively with private business owners, affluent individuals, closely held businesses, and technology-based firms to strategically integrate business, estate, and charitable planning objectives. He's also the creator of The Succession Solution and author of the best-selling book entitled The Succession Solution, The Strategic Guide to Business Transition. Thanks for joining us, Brad. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So the subject of this today's episode is, is yet another a long, increasingly long line of living ones as we move into the, the sixth year of this podcast. Kylie Jenner. Uh, Jenner is an American socialite, media personality, businesswoman, former model. Insert job here. She starred in the e-reality television series Keeping Up with the Kardashians from 2007 to 2021 and is the founder and owner of a cosmetic company Kylie Cosmetics. She is the fourth most followed person on Instagram with over 300 million followers. Jenner has been an influential figure in pop culture since the mid 2010s. In 2014 and 2015, Time Magazine listed her and her sister, model Kendall Jenner, on their list of the most influential teens in the world, citing their considerable influence among youth on social media. In 2017, Jenner was placed on the Forbes Celebrity 100 list, making her the youngest person on the list. In November 2018, the New York Post credited her as the most influential celebrity in the fashion industry, full stop. In 2019, Forbes magazine estimated Jenner's net worth at $1 billion and called her the world's youngest self-made billionaire at 21 years old. The notion of Jenner being self-made has been somewhat controversial. In May 2020, Forbes released a statement accusing Jenner of forging tax documents so she would appear to be a billionaire when she was not. Now, the source of most of the wealth in question here stems from the 2019 agreement that sold 51% of her cosmetics and skincare brand Kylie Cosmetics to Coty for $600 million, a price tag that valued the enterprise at about $1.2 billion. Though it may seem ridiculous to bring up concepts like succession planning when discussing an at-the-time 21-year-old, now a matronly 25, this sale is an interesting example to unpack a bit, particularly that 51% number. So Brad, from a succession planning perspective, what can clients and advisors learn from this sale? David, I think it goes to that saying, what got us here, here won't get us there. 
I think what Kylie Jenner probably did, and I'm only speculating, is she built this enterprise and she built it pretty well. And she decided, how do I take it to that next level? Or do I want to take it to that next level? And I think she found a worldwide cosmetics company to partner with to help her leverage her business. So I think that's what it is. It's, you know, with many business owners, they need to decide, they need to develop a vision of their company. And I think she had a much bigger vision than what she had established to date. It's interesting that that particularly the 51% idea, right? Because that is controlling interest, we have to assume, just by percentage. And yet she's still a very young woman who's still very involved with that business and that brand. So it's interesting for someone to to give up the controlling interest and yet stay so heavily invested going forward. Well, I, I, and I think that if you look at Cody's history, which is over 100 years, they were looking for a brand. And even though they have 51%, my guess is because of her name recognition, she is going to yield and, and wield much more power than a typical 49% owner would. I once heard the saying, you know, what's the value of 49%? And the answer was whatever 51 says it is. In this situation, it might be a little different. Interesting. So, you know, we are dealing with sort of a uniquely young client and a uniquely fairly young business um, in this example. You know, for a more traditional client, when do you, would you typically, and what would be the first step in sort of you know, trying to put together this succession plan? When would it begin and, and what would you do? Yeah, a great question. You know, I don't believe you can start too soon. And I think that whenever, and, and maybe if it's a startup, that's not the case, but a mature company, uh, for instance, I believe a board of directors responsibility, if there is one, is to decide plan for what happens if the owner, the CEO is not around. So, but I, practically speaking, David, I see these questions being asked when a founder or the next gen is in her fifties or sixties, because it takes five to 10 years, in my opinion, to figure out who is going to take the helm if anybody internally or externally can take the helm and to try to figure out what that owner wants to do with his or her life mm -hmm. that and just you say like it's such an easy thing what do you want to do with the rest of your life after we're, we're, we're done getting rid of the thing you spent your entire life doing you know it's interesting you say that david because i think and look i'm a cpa uh, inactive at this point in time i'm a lawyer i do a lot of work with clients and i believe that uh, we can use the internal revenue code we can use trusts to do all sorts of great planning but it is the minority of the issue when it comes to succession. Uh, really, the business owner needs to figure out, you know, what he wants to do, what the business needs to do going forward. Mm -hmm. And how do you sort of guide in that process, right? Because that is, if you just drop that in someone's lap, and probably the reason that a lot of succession planning, unfortunately, doesn't get done correctly, is that yeah. we are dealing, you know, we're saying these like they're easy things, but they are sort of um, major existential crises for yeah, a lot of, for the people involved and, and sort of, they need hand-holding. That's why it doesn't happen because it's so scary. Yeah, and, and, and another great point, and that really was the genesis of how I came up with my process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, succession planning is so nebulous. It means so many things to so many different people. It's used interchangeably. And so what, what I decided to do, because I've had a variety of business ventures where we did strategic planning, 
I integrated the strategic planning process to succession planning and created what I call a succession solution roadmap. It's a construct that I help business owners work their way through. Does it capture everything? I'm sure it doesn't capture everything, but it allows us to put down all of the issues that are associated with succession, be it financial, legal, family, all of those issues. And, and so I create this process, explain to business owners, we need to start somewhere because as Don Shula, the great Miami Dolphins coach once said, it's the start that stops most people mm -hmm. that we, we, we need, we need a beginning and we need a process and we need to execute on that process. So I'm not sure that's responsive to your question, but that's what I do with business owners. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think being able to sort of lay out like a roadmap, for lack of a better term, to people is, is great. It can help them to see that like, okay, there was an end and a beginning to this process. There's a plan and that that's reassuring and they can sort of help some noodle these things out a little better rather, rather than just sort of tossing them the hot potato and saying like, see you in a month when you have ideas about this. I also love the idea that you, you brought up this idea of succession planning as this nebulous definition, right? Like as personally, as, as an estate planner by trade who now sort of largely creates content and writes for financial advisors. That I, you know, I was, my definition of succession planning was largely in the, you know, in the generational involving a death, you know, high net worth families or you know, legacy planning sort of, you know, succession planning. Whereas, you know, when financial advisors talk about succession planning, they're largely talking about the future of their practice. Um, That's right. it's, not, it's not happening when they die. Most of the time it's happening when they're sixties as they start trying to transition it to maybe a younger partner, maybe probably not even a family member. Um, so, you know, I, I've myself sort of run into that dichotomy of like when I say succession planning and depending on what the reader does for a living, they're, they're completely interpreting the word differently. That, that's right. And, 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 and in my world or my view, I tell people there are three types of succession in a far business. There's the succession of knowledge, management and ownership. Right. So you, you've got, you can't transfer management until you transfer the knowledge. You mm -hmm. can't really transfer the ownership until you transfer management and you can do them separately. But I believe the, the approach I take, David, is that I, it's from a business standpoint. What's good for the business, understanding the owner's needs. And then from what's good for the business, a lot of good things will shake out. You're, you're right. There's a lot of financial planners and quote unquote exit planners. And, and this is not to be disrespectful to them, but they're looking to liquidate. They're looking to sell mm -hmm. a company. Many business owners don't want, most business owners don't want to sell their company, but, but uh, a lot of financial planners and quote unquote exit planners, they want to sell because they get the dollars under management, right? It's all about that AUM. That's right. And, and by the way, it's okay and I've done it with many business owners to liquidate, to sell because there is no next gen or they need the money uh, to retire. But but you can't start with that analysis and, and feel comfortable with your succession planning process. You have to sort of uh, begin with uh, an open conversation about what you want to try to accomplish and why. Mm -hmm. So let's let's go from there, right? That's step one, right? I'm, I've walked into your client, I walked into your office to talk about sort of trying to figure out my business succession, and, and you sort of told me you have this this rubric that we're gonna, you know, this can sort of guide us loosely through the right. process. So that's where we start with this sort of figuring out where we want to go. Yeah, and so I know it sounds fundamental. I know it may be 
uh, adverse to many tax planners and things like that. But what I say to the owners, I've got three questions for them initially. What are your core principles and values that you believe in? You know, wh whether it's family, whether it's, uh, it's a family business, uh, whether they're employees, whatever those core principles are. And I'll explain why in a second. And then I say, okay, David, what's the ultimate vision you have for this business? Do you want to continue? Don't you want to continue? Do you need to liquidate it? Whatever that vision is, say, state it. And then I say, why? Why do you have that vision? And does it reconcile to your core principles? And if your core principles you know, will be challenged along the way, it may be, you know, well, I have one client who is very community oriented. He wants this business to continue for the benefit of the community. And so when we say we're going to sell it to a REIT because it's a real estate company, is that is that violating one of the core principles? It's the foundation within which I believe a succession plan is built. The other thing I'll add is because there will be disturbances along the way, people fighting, you go back and say, OK, what were our core principles and are we violating them? And I think that's how you feel more comfortable ultimately with your your decision. Interesting. So you know, we've established what our core principles are, our sort of values for what, you know, I guess we put it in a different context, right? What we want to accomplish. Then I guess we then go about sort of figuring out how to accomplish it. That's right. And so a great example that I tell people was when I, I, I am not very good at your local mall. And what's the first thing I do when I walk into the mall? I look for that big block with that red dot. It says, where am I? Mm -hmm. Because in order to get to the Apple store, I need to know whether it's on the first floor or the second floor and what floor I'm on. And that's where I start with business owners. Where, where's our red dot? If you ultimately want to liquidate this company or transfer down to the next generation or buy at your partner, what's in place right now? And David, it is remarkable what business owners think they have and in fact, what they actually have. Uh, and what's in place. I mean, I've had situations where business owners want to transfer down to their one son, yet the estate plan documents say they transfer them equally to all five children. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the first place that we start is we got to figure out where we are before we know where to set the, you know, sort of the GPS. That's really interesting. And I find that ordering of the first two steps quite intriguing, right? Because we're leading with aspiration, right? Reality comes second. Right. So is, is, what was, what's the sort of the thought process behind that? You know, behind having sort of the, the dream first and then, okay, where we're at though, like brass tacks. Yeah. So, so Keith Cunningham wrote a book called Down the Red Le Road Less Stupid. He said, you know, strategic planning is real simple. What you do is you figure out where you want to go. You figure out where you are. You figure out what's in your way. You build a machine to get over that and you turn the machine on. And so you know, that's kind of the basics. It, it's, mm -hmm. you know, where do we ultimately want to get to? We may not get there, but, but let's set a course because if we don't have a course, uh, what's that old saying that any course, uh, any road will take you there, right? Yeah. One of the unique things of uh, when we're talking about succession and estate planning, right? we all know what the end point is and it's coming no matter what. So it's just a matter of how well we handle it. Unfortunately, uh, there's many business owners that don't have that uh, belief in their system until something shocks the system. But you're absolutely right. Ultimately, they're either going to walk out or they're going to be dragged out feet first. So uh, we know where we're going and we know 
where we're at, presumably. So the next step is we are have to map out sort of well, where, yeah. where we're going to go. Yeah. And so the, what I tell business owners, what the next step is, and in my opinion, maybe the most important step, another great book, uh, The Obstacle is the Way. Right. And what I say is, okay, if we know we want to get to and we know where we are, what are the roadblocks? What are the obstacles in our way? For instance, over my wife's dead body, will she let me transfer to so and so? Or I've got a a brother that's in this business that I can't deal with. Or I have a bank that will not release me from a personal guarantee. You list all these obstacles because I tell people once they've identified the obstacles, then they've identified the opportunities for succession. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, it's going to be like that two by four you don't see coming that's going to hit you right across the head and it's going to knock you off course. Mm-hmm. To the extent we can identify more obstacles and threats, the more progress I believe that we'll make. And then you know, we don't stop there. We say, okay, these are the obstacles. Then what are the strengths that we have to overcome them? For instance, I've got a young daughter who I want to take over in the business. Okay, that's an obstacle. She's not ready. But the strength may be, I've got five to 10 years, and I can develop her, right? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I say, okay, if we've identified the obstacles, and we know what the strengths are, if we get this right, what good things will come from it? Right? And so that's kind of the, 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 the next stage in my conversation with a business owner. Okay. And I think it's great to point out a highlight, I guess, that you know, amongst the obstacles you were listing, it's a mix, right? It's not just all legal or financial, you know, dry obstacles. There's tons of interpersonal, as anyone who's ever seen the television show Succession can tell you, that, that, that a large amount of the obstacles are just interpersonal stuff that has little, if nothing, to actually do with the business. You know, I'm, I'm really glad you stopped there, David, because I want to share some research that I did for my book. It was really intriguing, I thought. Of course, I'm a pretty boring kind of guy. There was a, a study done over uh, over a couple of years of over 2,000 family businesses of net worth over $15 million. And this was book was written about 15 years ago. And of course, the statistics that many of us have heard held true, 70% of the businesses failed to make it to the next generation, and it only got worse generation to generation. But then they said, okay, why? Why did it happen? Less than 15% of the time, it was due to a technical tax or accounting issue, meaning the wealthy people hire smart people. That wasn't the issue. Remarkably, 60% of the time, the failure was lack of communication and trust. Not that I don't trust you, David, that you'll take money from me, but David, will you have that report on my desk on Monday? Sure. Monday comes along. Where's David? Oh, he's on the golf course. So you can't trust them. And 25% of the time was an ill-prepared successor. So I tell business owners, 85% of the failure is in, is in within your control. So you're absolutely right. It's not the technical. You got to get the technical right. That can that can take you down. But that's not the big part of the, the issues. Yeah, and I think it's it's a real snapshot of where the industry, you know, sort of the financial advice industry is going in general. Right. And sort of as as the march of the machines continues inexorably forward to the chagrin of many professionals, (laughs) um, you know, it's increasingly easy to sort of automate the actual planning, right? The the, the numbers and and sort of how things, you know, make a super spreadsheet and and configure that stuff out, you know, more and more for you. Um, But that's 
as you mentioned with your statistics, less and less like what's really actually important, right? You know, at this point, financial advisors and, and, and estate planning attorneys and, and people who are working with, with these wealthy families and people trying to have business succession, you almost need to be more of a psychologist and, and a handholder and just sort of a reassuring backslapper a lot of the time than you know someone who's actively like cracking the whip on the exactitudes of, of what the, the technical aspects of the plan are going to be. Yeah, well said. I mean, I think there's a place for everybody in this process. The, the, the problem occurs sometimes is, you know, the old, if you've got a 900 pound hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you mm -hmm. bring your, 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 your tax attorney in and he starts talking about tax planning or these trusts. Well, people forget that when stock is in a trust uh, and it can't be touched and that's a good thing. But you can't borrow on it. You can't use it as as a as an asset uh, to borrow money, which practically, from a business standpoint, is not good. And banks get nervous. So I'm a big believer in sort of the team approach. The last meeting I had with a business owner, and it was about a hundred million dollars in revenue. He's trying to train his next generation. I give the guy all the credit in the world. He brought in in this one meeting the appraiser, the accountant, the lawyer. Um, the, the financial advisor, including myself, it was remarkable how much we got done because everybody wasn't just trying to say, oh, by the way, there's also an insurance guy in there too. Everybody wasn't just saying, you know, do it my way. It was a collective effort. And that's how I believe the process needs to work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is also not just, you know, your 900 pound hammer theory, of course, applies, but they also all have incomplete information, right? Like the, the tax attorney is going to have the most information and the most knowledge from the client about tax because that's what the client has told him because that's what he's hired him for. So he does the, the the part of the picture that he has is largely tax based in the first place. So oh, by bringing all these people together, you're unsiloing a lot of that information that they may have had, even though it's hard for the client to realize that like, oh, they're all my advisors, they all know me. It's like, well, they know different parts of you, but not necessarily the whole. Yeah, it's it, boy, you you really got it right. You, you know, it's hard to convince clients to bring everybody together because they're concerned about you know, the cost and running the meter, but it's a great, great investment. But to your point, the meeting I forgot to mention, who was also on the call was the banker. And mm -hmm. he said, you know, you want you want to be redeemed out of the stock, but you've got uh, lending requirements that you have to meet. And all of a sudden there was a pause because now, you know, we might be able to do a stock redemption. We may be able to do a sale to a grantor trust, but we got to make sure this thing doesn't have a cash flow that's going to violate a bank covenant. And when everybody's in the room like, oh, well, we need to figure out a payment system that works, right? You know, ideally, we've established where we want to go. We've hopefully established where we are now. We've, we've figured out what the challenges are going to be and what our sort of rewards are for overcoming them. But we've got, you know, everyone in a room to hopefully use this information to craft our plan of action. Is that it? At that point, we've built the machine. Do we just turn it on and see you later? No, I mean, the next stage in my process, uh, it reminds me of the quote by Bill Gates. You know, he said, most people overestimate what they can do in a year. They underestimate what they can do in 10. So I, I, I don't want to freak any business owner out or advisors out. And so I say, okay, David, we're sitting here three years from today or five years from today. What would you like to see have happen with respect to your succession plan to feel good about your progress? And you may say, well, you know, I'd like to have a board of directors. I'd like to have my stock redeemed. I'd like to have my uh, daughter developed to become the next CEO. I'd like to have a training firm. Okay, well, if, if those are, because it's easier to ask a business owner, just like if I said to you, hey, David, can you lose 10 pounds in a week? 
you might freak out, right? And say, there's no way I can lose 10 pounds without starving myself. But if I said, hey, David, can you lose 10 pounds in three years? It's not that hard. So that's what I mean about don't freak out the business owner. Make it such that you, you, you give yourself enough runway. And then I sort of go through that same analysis and say, okay, if these are the three or four or five things we want to accomplish in the next three years, what's standing in our way? And then what strategies do we need to deploy to overcome those obstacles? So in the example I gave about the recent uh, business owner, and he's, he's got a son who's an electrical engineer, he's as smart as a whip, but he has no concept from an accounting standpoint. And so we're getting him a training program. We're, we're developing him and he's going to rotate through the company. Those are the, that, that's sort of the next step. It's sort of looking three years out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you know, the problem with looking three years out is that the world moves on regardless of, you know, your plan, right? And there's always, um, you know, something that we preach on this show all the time is this idea of flexibility, because, you know, unfortunately with estate planning, you know, we, we want people to plan as early as possible, but then also the fact is that the world moves and things change. So I, I made great, you made your estate plan when you were 20, you're 80. Well, a lot has happened in the ensuing 60 years, both in terms of your life and in terms of just the world around you. Um, and even on a shorter term basis, right? Someone who maybe made a plan, a succession plan in 2000, now it's 2022. Forget about all the things that have happened in the world. Just think about the iPhone, you know, like smartphones and how that just changes the entire life of everyone involved, regardless of, of how they're affiliated with the plan. It's the, the world itself has changed no matter what your plan says. And so you need to be able to go back and have the ability to look and, and change things. Well, you, you, David, you sound like one of my clients. You sound like most of my clients. They say, I don't want to wait three years. This has to happen sooner. I said, okay, it can happen sooner. We'll get there. And just, you know, the, the, as I tell clients, don't try to boil the ocean, right? It, it takes, and we can adjust this roadmap. Um, the other thing I tell people, let's get it down. Let's get it right. We, we can iterate, we can change it, but we got to mm -hmm. get, we got to get some framework. So then I say, okay, I know we don't want to wait three years. Then I say, okay, we've, we've set our three-year objectives and some, some key results that we want to achieve. Then I say, okay, what can we do over the next 12 months to advance us to our three-year mission? Right? If, if we may be able to accomplish everything that we want in three years in a year, but I don't want to overwhelm people because business owners – they got their day-to-day -day job. And if you try to give them too much, what happens, what I've seen is they just go down, go in shutdown mode and do nothing. So we go through that sort of same analysis. Okay, we're sitting here a year from today. What would you like to see have happen? Well, we, we, we'd like to have a board established. We'd like to have a financial plan to understand how much I need to retire. I need to update my estate plan. Right. I need to get life insurance in the event that there is, a, you know, unexpected death and I have this these huge tax liabilities. So then we, we we just advanced the ball to a one year. And then, if I may, the, the last step in this roadmap, in my opinion, where I think many, many planners fail is I say, OK, if this is what we're going to do, what we want to do in a year what do we need to accomplish in the next 90 days? Mm -hmm. Another great book, it's called The 12-Week Year. The authors say 12 weeks, we should all plan our lives around 12 weeks, long enough to get stuff done, but short enough to keep our eye on the ball. 
And this, and let me emphasize this, David, this is again, really where I think I, not to try to pat myself on the back, distinguish myself, but we'll identify four or five, six things that we'll do in the quarter. We'll identify people that will be the champions and we're going to meet in 90 days. And it is remarkable when around day 45, 50, I pick up the phone and I say, hey, how's that coming? And, and, and things start to get done. And, you know, there's a quote that I give in my book, action, uh, vision without action is nothing but a dream. And action without a vision is just passing time. You got to execute. And that's where uh, if I see anybody really fail a lot, it's in the execution of the succession plan. So, so sorry for a long-winded answer to that question. No, I mean, I think we, we sort of crammed two steps into one. And one of the things I like about these these last two steps is that they're both review and adjust effectively. Um, we, one is to make sure that the adjustments actually happen. And so you know, as I know as an estate planner and myself, and, and I'm sure you have too, a, a lot of the struggle is overcoming the idea that a plan is something that is made and then stuck in a drawer um, and, and getting across to clients that this is a living document and it needs to, to actually work, you know, properly, it needs to be sort of tended and, and cultivated. And so these two exactly. last two steps right. really hammer that home and sort of reinforce this idea like, no, it's steps five and six are taking care of this plan. Like fully one third of the process happens after the plan is made. That's right. I mean, and that's why I tell people that uh, they, they sometimes they say, well, what, what's your deliverable? And I said, my deliverable is an 11 and a half by 18 sheet of paper. And they go, <laughs> what do you mean one paper? I said, uh, if you want to get everybody on the same page, use one page, right? Um, you know, I, I used to do the 15 to 20 page reports and I've done the 150 page estate plan documents. Clients, you know, they, they, they break into a cold sweat when they have to pick up those documents because the aggravation have to go. They're complicated documents. They're very difficult. It's very important because you've got a complicated estate. But when, when it comes to succession planning for the business owner, if you make it complicated, you won't get anything done. And, and I believe that the, the detail um, is underneath the roadmap. I tell mm -hmm. people that you know this roadmap um, is simple, but it's not easy. Simple in that it's straightforward. You sort of understand, but it takes work, right? So, Brad, we're just about out of time here. Now, we've already asked you and you've already done, I guess, basically, you've smashed succession solution, you know, down in succession planning down into sort of six steps. I'm going to ask you at the end here to take that even further. And if you could offer one piece of advice to our clients and their advisors uh, about succession planning, what would that be? Get started. Mm -hmm. I, I think too many business owners kick the can down the road and don't want to address it, whether it's intrafamily fighting, whether it's uh, th they're afraid of going from he's the guy to <clears throat> who's he is to get started. Once you get started, you're 80% of the way there. Mm -hmm. Well, that's about all the time we have. I'd like to thank Brad France for being just a really great guest and helping us uh, pretty clearly delineate what is, uh, uh, as we mentioned, a very nebulous topic. Thanks so much for coming on, Brad. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, for all our listeners, I'll see you, or I guess you'll hear me, on the next episode of Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. Thank you for listening to the Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available.
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.